High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, kids in the auto shop, football players, disapproving parents, oh, and an extra special shout out to you 1958 Plymouth Furies out there. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my house this evening, but first, let's chat about your homework, freshman. Oh, it was a fun one. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. So did you like our episode on Dumplin'? I loved speaking with Jenna Giam. Loved talking about that film as well. Ugh, Dolly Parton, it's still in my head, and that's a good thing. Oh, I love talking about Jenna's dogs as well. It's a great episode. You definitely want to check it out. Check it out of our library. That's what I'm calling the archive section. Come on, I'm trying it on for size. You know, give me some feedback. I don't know, I don't know. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Anyway, did you catch the movie for this week's episode, Christine? Oh, man. I hope you enjoyed Christine as much as I did. A murderous car? What's not to like? So, Christine's a Stephen King book, obviously. This is a John Carpenter adaptation. And there's another King movie in the theaters this week. Pet Cemetery. I haven't seen it yet, but I think I'm going to see it. Everyone says it's good. As an animal lover, I'm not sure. I didn't even see the original. I'm not really a horror guy, but I don't know. I'll see it. After seeing Christine, I owe John... Well, not John Carpenter. I wish John Carpenter directed. I owe Stephen King the benefit of the doubt. Anyway, our guest this week, who's going to, you know, pop the hood with me and take Christine apart, is... Walter Hickey of Numlock News. If you aren't familiar with Walt, you definitely want to check out his writing and really everything he does. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. Anyway. What was I saying? Oh, Walt Hickey. After listening to him on this episode, trust me, you're going to want to subscribe to Numlock News, follow him on Twitter. But, you know, I can't keep you any longer. Just want you to remember some things, of course. Follow me on Twitter, High School Slumber Party. Follow, well, I guess like on Facebook. Follow on Instagram. Tell a friend about High School Slumber Party. That's the best way you can support me and get the word out about all the fun stuff we're doing here. I really, really appreciate it. Another good way to help help the cause here and get a good grade for your freshman year of High School Slumber Party Give us a rating and review on iTunes. Five stars, please. Five stars. That's how I like it, and that's how you get the A. And, of course, we're available on iTunes, 
Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. Also, we're available on cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. So I leave you with a song that's heavily featured in this film that's starting to replace the Dolly Parton in my head. George Thorogood, Bad to the Bone. Class dismissed. Everyone in this world knows this, but you're a lot smarter than me. And I'll, t- I'll tell you why in a second. But but first, a little side story for the listeners out there. Um, we shared the airwaves for the first time on Cruise Club, one of our sister shows on the network. We talked about Risky Business with Joey Lewandowski and Mike Manzi. And I didn't say anything on that episode because I didn't want to ruin someone else's show. But I was super excited to be speaking with you because I used to read your stuff on 538 oh, and I was a big fan. But I have to admit something. What's that? I totally thought you were like a 60-year-old man. <gasps> yeah, no, the name does that, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I was, I was like, oh, okay. This is not who I pictured. Nope. <laughs> See, here's the thing, is that there's lots of Walter Hickeys in the world. Actually, very few. And many of them are like over the age of 60, 70 and whatnot, just just by the demographics of, of how ages work. But um, you got to think, hey, some of those people are narcissists and will name their kids after themselves. And some of those kids are going to do the same thing. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm walking around in, in the year of our Lord 2019 as Walter Hickey. And 28, I'll have you know. <laughs> but that's Yeah, fine. I mean, it, it was cool to know. And it was... I thought uh, that was an awesome episode, and it was great talking with you, and I was like, I have to have Walt on my show. But I, I say you're, you're definitely smarter than me, like I said, for obvious reasons. But also, because, you know, when I first asked you to be on the show, I gave you a list of movies we could do, and you got back to me with a slightly shorter list. Yeah. But... <laughs> Christine was at the top or near the top of that list. And I'm like, hmm, I'm really in the mood to do that. I don't know why. And, you know, we were talking about dates. And you wrote me back. You were like, if we do Christine, we should do it ASAP because Pet Cemetery comes out April 5th. And that's the release date of this show. And I'm like, damn it. That guy knows how to book my show better than I do. And the timing couldn't really be better. I've had some familiarity with King. I happen to enjoy a lot of the riffs on his work, like The Shining is one of my favorite movies, and I always find it entertaining with King to see how different directors tackle it. Like, I I had known generally the plot of Christine from an event I will tell you about later, I'm sure. The idea that was so exciting about it was that John Carpenter is great, and I just think that it's always fun, particularly with Pet Cemetery coming out and with it coming, it too coming out later this year, uh, to you know, just go back and and revisit uh, the the deep well that is King, you know. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, there's so many Stephen King adaptations, and like you mentioned, John Carpenter, it feels like a coming together of two 
worlds, if you will. Are you a horror guy? Uh, I'm not a horror guy. I don't go out of my way to, to enjoy horror, but like I like this kind of horror, this like vaguely schlocky, little bit thrillsy. Like, I mean, there's not a ton of jump scares here, in part because it is very, very difficult to make the Plymouth Fury jump. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, I do tend to like this kind of horror that really just kind of goes for it, in a way, like this conceptual stupid stuff, rather than the, uh, again... The kingy kind of horrors, I, I, I like it. Like, again, The Shining is horror, but it's also just great, you know? And so I was really into this movie, and even though I'm uh, an enormous coward, I really did enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm famously not into horror films, as some people say. Not that I'm against them, I just don't have a lot of exposure to them. But I think you and I are in agreement here, like... This is the kind of horror film I like. Now, on paper, for a lot of people, like, if you're not familiar with Christine, you're like, oh my god, a haunted car. It sounds really stupid. But I think it's executed super well. So, I mean, I can't wait to get into this. Yeah, no, let's dive in. (laughs) Uh, But before we do that, you are a first-time guest. I am a first-time guest. And on High School Slumber Party, we introduce ourselves the same way every time. We say our name our high school, our graduating <laughs> class, and the high school team name. Oh, boy, yeah. Hello, uh, I am Walter Hickey. I went to Don Bosco Preparatory High School for Boys in Ramsey, New Jersey. We are the Iron Men, and I was the class of 2008. Oh, you went to Bosco. I did. Cool. Oh, is Bosco a known quantity? <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I'm from Old Japan, so Oh, cool, cool, cool. Far. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> I went to Bosco, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we used to go against you in track and cross country guys had a very good team yeah i know that the, the coach was one of my favorite um teachers all throughout school oh who was your coach at the time well i did not do track i i, I did the i mean debate who was team. the coach oh, uh, kevin Kilduff, uh almost certainly he's been uh the coach for years and years and years and years so. oh yeah yeah i know that guy that's cool yeah. awesome no, he was, he was small a world yeah <laughs> <laughs> very cool very cool so what was a young Walt like at Don Bosco? I'm sure you don't need the introduction, but for those who are not familiar with North Jersey, uh, Don Bosco is a Catholic school that, when I was there at the very least, they were at basically the greatest high school football team on earth, is my understanding. Like, they would travel <laughs> the, the country and play, like, schools in Ohio who were also really good at football, and they would, like, play the championship game in Giant Stadium. And I say all that to bring it back to the fact that I ran the debate team in mock trial. And so I went to an elite <laughs> football high school and did not. And um, it was a good vibe. I mean, there were about 200 kids in each class. Uh, North Jersey, I, I lived in South South New York at that point. And, uh, yeah, I'm still very close friends with a lot of the people that I was friends with there to this very day. Like, I lived with a, a bunch of them when I graduated college. And, um, yeah, we still keep up. <laughs> awesome. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It's so weird because, I don't know, I guess from movies, because that's my entire education pretty much. Naturally. That it seems like in days of yore, people really lost touch of their high school friends and were more attached to their college friends or their work friends. But everyone seems like of our generation, like really, and I guess that's because of social media and stuff, or I don't know, I don't know what it is, but everyone really kept in touch with their high school friends, which I I find like interesting. I don't think it's social media. I think it's like literally group threads and texting. I think the the barrier for communication was not necessarily facilitated by Facebook so much as is like, I've had a, like a WhatsApp group with these guys for like a decade at this point, or or like, (laughs) just like you keep in touch and like, it becomes much easier. Like my understanding is like before 
cell phones and everybody had a personal line to get in touch with folks, the way that people would find their high school friends was they would like go to the bar in their town over Thanksgiving and hopefully friends showed up. Where like when I think about the friends from high school that I had lost touch with, a lot of the time it's just like we didn't have a uh, a group thread, you know? Like I mean, I'm still friends with them on Facebook, but that's not the glue anymore, you know? But uh, yeah, no, I think that that's a very good point that you make, which is like, yeah, it's weird that people people tend to stay in touch a lot more than they used to. It's also weird that now there's, as you said, like a WhatsApp group that's 10 years old. It's weird to have anything like that that's 10 years old, you know? Yeah, it, like I, I was thinking about how long I've known like my friend John, who was one of these guys that I met at Bosco, and we met when we were freshmen, and we were, oh, yeah, yeah, it goes back a ways. The rivers begin to run deep at a certain point, so... <laughs> So this being a car film, did you have a first car? Yes. Um, so I drove down from New York to North Jersey every day. It was about a 20-minute drive. We hit the highway. I would drive my brother down with me. Uh, we would listen to a lot of Q1043, which I'm sure you're aware of as the good old fan. Oh, book. yeah. <laughs> and so my first car we bought at auction from Metro North, and it was a very, very used Chevy Blazer. It was white and I mean, like, it was white at the factory. At at a certain point, the Dwight had deteriorated to an extent. (laughs) But um, it was a good car. I I drove that for years. I named it the Battlestar Galactica because I was a dweeb, if you couldn't tell by my description of what I did in high school. (laughs) And I would say that the only major modification that I did uh, to that car was that there was a button in it that did nothing, and it was like right next to the to the driver's thing. And so I took out a label maker and I and I wrote eject and I put it over it. And so uh, that that was the main modification is I added an <laughs> ejector seat, by which I mean I found a button that did nothing or nothing that I was aware of. That very well could have been like <laughs> turning four wheel drive on and off, but like, um, but uh, yeah. So it was a nice car, and then I gave it to my brother, and I think he fucked it up within a year. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Now, I've actually touched on this a little bit on the podcast, not to get socioeconomic. Sure, sure. But I guess my question to you, did you have Auto Shop at Don Bosco? Auto Shop? No, we did not. That's a great question. I mean, like, I almost wish that we did, because, like, I had to fix the transmission one time, like, replace it, and that was an experience. But, um, no, Oof. we did not have shop. Um, and, again, like, we did not have a lot of things. We did not have women at our school. <laughs> like, <laughs> fair, um, fair. So That's a good point. <laughs> there were a number of... A number of things that we did not enjoy but shop was one of them yeah i would have loved to take shop instead of gym yeah no i mean so this is something that like now that i know that we're from a similar neck of the woods it's something that you know we could talk about it seems like whether the private schools or public schools they really started or they really phased out those kind of vocational Mm -hmm. things in high schools and i think broadly to their detriment if you ask me (laughs) yeah and i absolutely think it's awful for the same reasons you're saying like the transmission thing i wish i took like an auto class there's so many practical things that they eliminated from high school not that i didn't enjoy my european history class right because i did but have i used european history more or would i have used probably the auto shop right i mean like i didn't have sex ed my man like i don't know like there were a lot of things that were (laughs) missing from my high school experience academically speaking though like i think a lot of it is like uh, i did i did some i wrote up a, a story recently about like the sat and the act and basically how the the industrialization of some of these exams and you know at a certain point i think that if they're 
there's no like i forget what the jersey version of it is but there's no like region exam for shop there's no way that you can juice your school's numbers with shop because i think that there's no incentive anymore from the department of ed to produce technical school graduates it's all about producing college people and that and that's what gets your scores up and I think that's a, that's a loss, and that like I think that that's like a political failing just as often as it is like an educational one. It's not that they fired the shop teachers; it's that there's no carrot at the end of the stick that leads shop classes to succeed. You know? Wow. Yeah. That's a really, really good point. I'm a that's cool. journalist. I mean, could have used you on our Perfect Score episode, but uh... Perfect Score is a great movie. <laughs> I'm still <laughs> obsessed with that movie. <laughs> Do you uh, want to revisit it, that after the USC incident, like that big FBI <laughs> busting ring? Yeah, it's so funny. When that happened, I was like, damn. <laughs> I had done it like two weeks before that. Like, oh, <laughs> if I could only have predicted the future. Though we alluded to that probably being the case anyway. Yeah. I mean, not that I knew exactly, but I don't think anyone was too, too shocked with all this, you know? Yeah. Like, it was like really funny just seeing like. Felicity Huffman and William H. Macy me in the news? What's going on? Are they on the rocks? And then it's just like, oh, no, they bribed to get their kid into college. Allegedly. Allegedly, I should say. Allow me to preface that once again with allegedly. I mean, it's relevant, though, obviously, what we're talking about to Christine, because obviously car film. But it's also very much like, you know, harkens back to more of a time when people repaired things instead of just getting new things if that makes sense i don't know maybe i'm thinking of this too much but i mean christine ends up repairing herself so i guess i'm wrong but i i did love the idea of just something you don't see too often anymore like a teenager finding an old beat up car and repairing it himself you know what i'm saying i totally agree i think that you see it in a different regard like i had a friend who would like when the school computer lab was throwing out their old things, would like to say, can I grab one of these? And then would fix it up at home. But I think that you're right in the sense that like the technical ability has moved on in a way that's like kind of sad. I mean, the idea is like if something breaks, you don't try to fix it anymore. You just say, well, what's nice when it happened. And then you move on to the next, right? Like I think that a lot of the practical repairing ability has kind of gone out the window. and, And I think that, that you're right that there is something lost there. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's one of the weird feelings I, I got from this film. I know that's probably not the intention, but whatever. But <laughs> anyway, so every week, for people unfamiliar with the film, I find the back of the VHS cover, or like a picture of it online, or the back of the DVD cover, just to read what they were, you know, summarizing <laughs> this like. So here goes. John Carpenter brings Stephen King's best-selling novel to life in this chilling thriller. She was born in Detroit on an automobile assembly line, but she's no ordinary automobile. Deep within her chassis lives an unholy presence. She's Christine, a red-and-white 1958 Plymouth Fury whose unique standard equipment include an evil, indestructible vengeance that will destroy anyone in her way. She seduces 17-year-old Arnie Cunningham, who becomes consumed with the passion for her sleek, round, chrome-laden body. She dem- <laughs> Yeah... <laughs> She demands his complete and unquestioned devotion, and when outsiders seek to interfere, they become victims of Christine's horrifying wrath. That was one of the more entertaining, though, like back of VHS summaries that I've ever read on here. No, it's it's a, it's a, it's definitely you know kind of purple prose, getting all that like the, like getting people <laughs> jazzed up to watch what happens. I love this movie, by the way. Like I did not like know what to expect going into it, but it was incredibly delightful and i was very very happy that we picked this one yeah you know like if you've never seen this movie or, or read the book i'm assuming you never read the book never read the book no do you want to know what i had read do you want to about my, my the extent of my experience with christine sure great so during new york comic-con 
there was an event that a buddy of mine, Ivan Hernandez, he has a podcast called Boars Gore and Swords. He just moved to Queens. And he was like, hey, I'm, I'm speaking at this event. It's called Shipwrecked. I was like, that sounds really cool. What's Shipwrecked? He was like, well, it's a competition where people write erotic fan fiction related to a theme. <laughs> and this theme is, is Stephen King. And he, oh. I believe that he had Christine. And it was one of the funniest nights at the time. Like, I had a great time at it. it like, if you ever have a chance, I don't, I don't know if it's going on in SF constantly still, but Shipwrecked is a hoot. And yeah, so that was uh, that night of Stephen King erotic fan fiction was my first introduction to many things that Stephen King has written. <laughs> wow, that that is quite the introduction. That must have been <laughs> yeah. interesting. And, and shockingly, Christine. the film lived up. Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> uh. That's so great. And, you know, like this film, like it's hard to say, like, what would one expect when you think of like a premise of a a killer car, right? Yeah. But it just proves that, like, no matter what the idea is, if the story is good and it's done right, like you can make a great film out of it. People laugh at like the films on like sci-fi, which are pretty bad, you know, like like Sharknado and stuff like that. They're campy and stuff. But this could have been something like that, but it's so much, at least to me, so much better than that. From a standpoint of watching all these films and critiquing all these films, I just always appreciate when someone takes an idea that seems outrageous at first and then actually makes a story where I'm like on the edge of my seat waiting to see what happens next. Yeah, I mean, so the genre with which this podcast covers is not necessarily chock full of incredibly good movies. Is that is that a fair and accurate statement? It's fair, and it's something that, I mean, I've said it a million times, I've seen a lot of the same, not, not counting this one, but a lot of the same movie mm-hmm. several times, yeah. and I've seen it done incredibly well, and I've seen almost literally the same plot done so poorly that you know it makes me want to shut the film off and it's like the same things happening like i said christine's not in that genre long way to answering your question yeah there's not too many great films but i know how things can be executed well enough to make a very good movie yeah this was a really fun movie like i liked it a lot i think that its campiness is perfect like i think it it respects its premise just enough but is willing to have a little bit of fun with it. And again, like I think part of that is that Carpenter is just such a capable director. Yeah, so we've done one Carpenter film Ooh. on this podcast so far, and that was Halloween, which obviously is a classic, yeah. and, and it's awesome. And this is like a marriage that I'm shocked hasn't happened more often between John Carpenter and Stephen King. Yeah, I very much agree with that. Just because, again, like one of my favorite movies is The Thing, and that's got kind of that kingy kind of vibe obviously less cokey than a lot of the stuff that he was putting out in the 80s but like (laughs) you know it's fine it's pretty good christine it feels like he's scraping the bottom of a barrel but this movie really works (laughs) uh again if you haven't seen christine you're probably gonna think we're crazy today yes to an extent (laughs) (laughs) so every week i mentioned the rotten tomato scores and i was a little like surprised it's 69 percent by the critics 63 percent by the audience i actually thought it would be higher but i was reading a lot of um production facts and when this came out people felt like it was largely a disappointment Mm. uh especially stephen king fans and john carpenter fans yeah i mean like carpenter feels like he's doing good work particularly like we can get to the special effects later but i think that they're fairly good i feel like again this is a premise that is like, I feel like this movie bats with one arm tied behind its back 
in the sense that it is a movie about a car that murders people. Um, <laughs> I just do want to mention that part again. But, like, I feel like the execution... Like, you know... Okay, you ever watch figure skating? You know how, like, the score is dependent on how hard the figure skating routine is? And... <laughs> You're kind of capped at a certain amount. This is a movie that like, it's trying to do a, a, a mediocre routine, but is nailing it. Oh, yeah. No, that's a really, really good analogy, actually. You know, and maybe maybe it's because for me, I'm not going to say the bar was set low because, again, Carpenter mm-hmm. or Stephen King. But I really, you know, I didn't expect to buy in as much as I Oh, could. yeah. No, I, like I was I was fully expecting to watch a bad movie. And <laughs> I was delighted by this one. It was so dumb, but it like it, it was it was brilliant, you know? Yeah. Quickly, a couple facts. This movie went into production before even the book came out, which I think <laughs> is crazy, but I think Stephen King was just so hot, you know, that yes. they were just... hot. That's, that's the word that we're going to use to describe Stephen King's pharmaceutical <laughs> situation at that point in time. He was really... He was dedicated to his craft and really increased production through dedication to his craft. <laughs> Very good way to put it. Yes. But it stars a cast of relatively unknowns. Arnie, or Arnie Cunningham, the lead, is played by uh, Keith Gordon, who I wasn't really f- too familiar with. I wrote down, though, that the part was offered to Kevin Bacon, which I think is funny because Dennis, I believe, played by John Stockwell, mm-hmm. kind of looks a little Kevin bacon He's a little more bacon character, how... you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Kevin Bacon declined to do Footloose, probably a good move for him. Scott Baio and John Cusack, someone we talk about a lot on this podcast, <laughs> also auditioned for the role, which I thought was interesting. Um, I mentioned John Stockwell uh, playing Dennis, someone I didn't really know either. And Lee is played by Alexandra Paul another person I wasn't too familiar with. Some of the other characters I knew, obviously Harry Dean Stanton. Yes, he was the only person I truly recognized. <laughs> so Robert Prosky plays Will Darnell, the guy who um, runs the garage. And then when I looked him up, I had seen him in other things, but he didn't look like that because I'd seen him like in later things. The only other person I wrote down was Kelly Preston, who plays Roseanne and you know would go on to do a lot of other things yeah. you know Mary John Travolta and all that jazz but she's just I don't know she's only in a couple scenes as the hot blonde girl essentially <laughs> and then the last thing I wrote down in terms of cast notes and this seems to be in every every single casting note that I do in, in like a five year period in the 80s here but Nicolas Cage auditioned for one of the roles as one of the thugs in this film and Nicolas Cage seems to be auditioning for everything at this point, so that's not a shock. Yeah, I mean, good for him. I'm on record as being a big fan of Cage, and I'm very, very happy that he is uh, uh, at least trying to get in the mix on this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, the last, like, five 80s movies I've done, either he, he was in it or he auditioned <laughs> and, and didn't get the role, and there was always a weird story attached to it. This didn't have a story. I guess he just didn't get the part. Very successful now, and he's the patron saint of our podcast network, so there we go. amen to that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, and of course, not really a person, but Christine is, is as mentioned in the um, back of the VHS cover, a Plymouth Fury. They put 17 different Plymouth Furies together out of 24 different cars they tracked down around the country. <laughs> and Stephen King purposely picked the Plymouth Fury because it wasn't a well-known car, and it has a really, really cool name for a car that's going to kill you. <laughs> okay, that's a really great thing. <laughs> I thought that was cool. And uh, before we like get into scenes and stuff, another thing I want to mention, as in like a lot of John Carpenter films... 
great score, which from doing this podcast, I, I didn't realize like he usually does his own scores. Huh. Really cool. And this one has like a pretty a pretty cool soundtrack. It's very ambient. I like it a lot, and it's very good at setting a tone. And again, like, it's very hard to immediately take a movie about a car that murders people seriously. But the aesthetic gets you into it and works you in. And like, there's some silly stuff that seems a little bit out of place, like an oddly timed knife fight. But like beyond that, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's a good it's a good mood, you know. <laughs> oh, and then I wrote down that song "Bad to the Bone," which is all over the, place. the film. There's a ton of rock and roll in this movie. And it's funny because if you had to make a list of top 10 most overused, (laughs) like, rock songs in films, Bad to the Bone probably would be on that list. Yeah. But this was actually the first film to ever feature this song. So. (laughs) That's great. It it just got in early? (laughs) (laughs) I guess so. I keep saying last note, but I I did write this note down too. Mm. They really, really wanted this film to get an R rating because they didn't think it would be taken seriously at the time if it got a PG rating. I don't think PG-13 PG-13 came much later, yeah. That makes a ton of sense. I think that, honestly, this movie getting an R rating is fundamentally important. I know that, like, back then, PG was a different kind of beast, but, like, I'm very happy that this is an R, a hard R. (laughs) Yeah, and originally, though, they were really afraid because they were tipped off that they weren't going to get the R because it wasn't bloody enough like the car violence didn't count or something like that (laughs) so just to get that r they inserted a lot of f-bombs in the script that actually makes sense because sometimes those don't necessarily (laughs) ring true (laughs) oh yeah yeah no no like so if they ever seem out of place when you're watching this film it's because they're like shit we might not get it that was just 80 yard in post just to add that in (laughs) (laughs) let's let's throw in these fucks places and We'll take it from there. <laughs> yeah, so uh, one thing I wrote about this film, like, during the first, I guess, half was it has sort of a slow build, which I actually really enjoy films with a slow build. Some people say that I'm in the minority for that. But, you know, it's not like we, I mean, okay, we open up with that scene, right, where Christine is born, which is not in the book, but added for this film. I guess, what did you think of that scene in Detroit? I thought it was a great mood. I liked, like, seeing the origin story. And, like, the first thing that Christine does is murder somebody. And I think that that's really important because how it how Christine kills was always, like, let's be 100% here. Like, like it doesn't seem necessarily intuitive why a car would feel compelled to kill. But I just felt like, you know, the first thing that she does is straight up murder her creator is exactly what I come here for movies. Yeah, and this is actually something where it differs from the book. Like I said, the scene was not in the book, but also the book kind of implies that this car became evil after it killed its owner, and then, like, the owner's spirit is in the car. But the movie is totally like, this car was born evil, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it is bad to the bone, one might say. (laughs) How do we articulate that, do you think? (laughs) 
Yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head, though, because like it sets a tone for what we're supposed to expect in terms of... I don't want to say silliness, because that makes it sound kind of crappy, but in ter- I don't know, camp or... or... I would say silly is fine. <laughs> um, I would say that this movie is an extremely highly like well-produced treatise on very superfluous <laughs> I think that like this movie should be terrible but is but somehow finds its way to great like again like some of the acting is kind of weak uh some of the performances aren't 100 percent. some of the con the concept is is let's just be frank here abysmal but like <laughs> the execution is just so nailed it like the special effects are good and like the story's fun and like i just really enjoy it <laughs> no yeah and and okay like i'm thinking of like other movies right like halloween right like it is somewhat logical to be a af- I mean, it is logical to be afraid of a murderer. People are scary. Yeah. You know? Uh, Jaws, right? Like, we can't control sharks. So, scary if you, you know, go to the beach that summer. (laughs) Right. I mean, sharks attack people sometimes. That's not slander. That occurs. Jaws is just the amplification of that. (laughs) Yeah. And I know, like, cars kill much more people than sharks, but it's not because of Mm -hmm. an evil car. (laughs) You know, like, it's, it's, it's human beings behind uh, cars like we can control cars so sometimes i will point out and i may i think that it's it's necessary that we bring this up now it's that there's no way that you could remake christine today because literally self-driving cars are about to start killing people <laughs> and have like they killed people in, in arizona like there's a reason that uber had to pull out of the entire state because a self-driving car killed someone and like this is going to become an increase like like I think that this might be one of the, like, if Jurassic Park was meant to, like, oh, wow, wouldn't it be insane if we resuscitated <laughs> creatures should that should not exist or genetically engineered them? And they were like, oh, what a far-off future. And now you've got CRISPR babies in China, and, and at a certain point you're losing, like, <laughs> the future is here. And I, I think that that was much more like, oh, Gattaca, they're going to change, the, their DNA is going to become a defining thing. And that's true. But, like, I don't know if Stephen King was necessarily trying to be... <laughs> Cassandra here, but unfortunately, like snorted his way into a fascinating take on the far-flung future, where Teslas are causing accidents uh, just by their own volition at a certain point, based on an autopilot bug, or so I've I've read. <laughs> like, wow, you know, like I didn't even think of that while watching this. You just blew my mind. Oh yeah. Now I'm actually more. No, afraid. It, it's happening. Christine's true now. <laughs> like, it's the dumbest possible kinks. Like, yeah, buy a hotel in in, in Colorado. Who gives a shit? But now cars are actually killing people who would have guessed that the stephen king book that would actually become the future was christine (laughs) it's so true wow wow and you know like they picked a good car here because it's scary but now like the cars that are going to kill us are just like hondas and they're gonna look so stupid (laughs) they're gonna look like this car looks like like intense and like wow i'm glad that i was killed by this brick of metal whereas the next one's just going to be like a flimsy chunk of aluminum that looks like a smart like like one of those tiny little smart cars <laughs> i don't know the future sucks but um either way i just want to point out like it is important before we get into the meat and potatoes of this picture that like no this is now true oh, man oh wow mind blown here <laughs> oh, good point well i hope that's not how i go because that would be pretty ironic talking about it now but you know it's like who knows <laughs> singularity is going to happen. Whatever. Um, yep. So I guess let's let's jump into scenes here. As we said, there's that earlier scene, and I was a little afraid because I sometimes I'll do high school films, and I know they take place in high school, but they don't have a 
big high school element. They just happen to have people who are high school students. And since I hadn't seen this film, I wasn't 100% sure what that was going to be. But this is actually a really, really hardcore high school film like we see the dynamics of this this california high school here yeah it's fundamentally linked to like the car is always a good recurring trope but so we first met on the risky business episode and like the car is it is the plot point in that And, and it just feels like i imagine i think i was talking to you during the risky business episode about wow this just really hits all the like, th- there's a prom, and a car, and a girl, and the parents go away for a little bit, and this just feels like, oh, wow, this really, like, <laughs> there isn't a prom at the end, but, like, this movie would not occur if not high school. Yeah, you know? and, you know, the themes that I see a lot in terms of just, like, popularity and alienation and, you know, we even get a football game in this. Yeah, <laughs> and a big football injury that leads to plot events, like... <laughs> I thought that was kind of uh, interesting. Like, I see like life and career-threatening football injuries as something that we talk about a lot today. I, yeah. I don't think of them as like, obviously they did happen back then, but it just, I don't know, new problems. You know what I'm saying? And that was when I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, his career's probably done. And not that he's a career in it, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. But like, oh, the helmets aren't protecting the football players. I thought this was a... No. Christine predicted the future. (laughs) And largely the early part of this film is not really a a car film or a Christine film. It's like a a pure high school film. Kids getting bullied. Kid likes a girl. You know? Exactly. All that stuff. And happens. Arnie is like your classic film nerd, except for the fact like his best friend seems to be one of the cooler guys in in school, a la American Pie or a million other films. <laughs> Not that it's Arnie's direct goal, but certainly his friend's goal is to, and I am using air quotes, get him laid. <laughs> yes, that occurs. That is, at a degree, the inception for getting the car. Like that is the original sin that they create. Uh, by yearning for sexuality to buy a dumb car from this crazy old man. Um, <laughs> so the only thing that is kind of weird about this movie is how... Because the next state, like the f- step one, kid desires car and eventually obtains car. Yeah. Step two, everybody around him hates that. Like, I don't necessarily know why they overdid it this much, but his mom's just like, it won't be on my property. <laughs> and his girlfriend is just like... I hate your car. And he does not know why. And his dad is just like, I can't believe you spent all the money on that. Like a kid bought a car. That's a thing that occurs all this is California. Like you're going to need a car. And it just felt like the immediate like hatred of everyone around him was a little bit overdone. You know? (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. No, that, that was, (laughs) it was really funny. You hit the nail on the head when you said it's a California thing. You know, anywhere really that's not a city with a working subway, which is yeah. not that many cities in the United States. Shit, I live in New York and there's not a working subway. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair, fair. And trust me, that's another <laughs> podcast that I would like to have. But that's, that's, that's another story. But, I mean, the fact that his parents are like, oh, you, you know, you can't have a car. Depend on your friend to drive you places. Yeah fuck you guys <laughs> it's yeah and like it's causing a rift yeah because you diss the guy's car constantly <laughs> it's the only thing you talk about it's your common point of conversation is how much his car sucks and you don't like it ah <laughs> uh, and then just quickly i, I want to address like before we even get to the car buying thing um arnie mm-hmm. is like he has like the most nerdy 
quote unquote like glasses in the world, and he has that. Uh, I think you alluded to the the guy who does not look like he's a high school student oh, pulling no, a no. switchblade yeah. in, in shop class, and that whole thing, and then of course the typical like nerd crushing of the glasses, and you know like he's fed up, and I I totally get why he wants to buy that car despite for the obvious reasons that he needs to get around to places yeah you know he sees a car like that and also think of yourself like when you learned things in high school or college you probably thought you were the smartest guy in the world at that subject he's probably like i can fix any car you know i've taken shop for two weeks you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean it's it's great he's learned a new thing and he wants to use his new talents to have fun and like make a thing like everybody is being a dick to him and he has a new hobby and then the only people who are nice to him in the world hate the (laughs) hobby and i I can understand why that might drive him closer to his car like you see that all the time if like somebody's yuck and someone else's yum constantly they're not gonna give up the thing that they like they're gonna be a little bit skeptical of the person and so i think to a large extent i emphasize like let's be 100 percent here uh, christine was right at every single point in the movie her <laughs> methods were a little bit extreme but at no point did she really violate like the notion that christine is evil is surprising to me because it seems like christine and batman operate on identical <laughs> moral platforms but isn't that what's so great? And, uh, you know, I'll put it on Stephen King's writing here. But it's yeah, sure. <laughs> so great, like, how we can understand the motives of a car. Yeah. Like, well, okay. And, like... and it doesn't speak. <laughs> Maybe murdering the girlfriend or trying to murder the girlfriend. That was wrong. I thought girls were supposed to be jealous of other girls, not cars. This car's a girl. Oh, please. Really? Cut it out. Don't. What? Don't like you slapping your girl? It seems like... Nobody likes my car these days. Though I don't know how the car made her choke. You know, from like reading background, it was, yeah, it was supposed to be like just somehow leaking the carbon dioxide into the car. I don't know enough about cars to know if that's possible or not. I, yeah, but no, I thought that she like is eating a burger in the car, and then he gets locked out, and then she starts choking in the burger, and then the car basically locks the oh, doors. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. I guess, I guess I was like thinking that, yeah, she's choking on the burger, but it's worse because she's not having the oxygen. Oh, but okay. She, but you're kind of right, because she had to choke on the burger to begin with, to like connect on that plan. Yeah, I mean, like... Listen, Christine is generally right on a lot of different <laughs> points. I don't want to say she's perfect, but I would say that I side with Christine more often than I side with basically any other <laughs> um, I just want to mention quick, Christine was purchased for $250, which I thought was super crazy because I would pretty much buy anything 
that size for $250. But obviously, I wasn't thinking of inflation. I looked up the inflation number, mm. and it was... What is inflation, please? $962, which is still not that bad for a car. A car that runs... I paid, like, two grand for my car in high school, which, again, like, a lot of miles, used thing. Like, it seems like maybe, Arnie, that's a good call. I mean, honestly, like... I don't know. He seems okay. He seems like he's been saving his allowance. That's not bad for a car. And the metal alone is probably worth that much, you know? Oh, because they used to make them, like, out of, like, steel. Yeah. Like, they were adamantium, effectively. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's a that's a good price. <laughs> yeah. Shit, the chromium in the carburetor alone would be worth, like, a small <laughs> So, I guess, you know, some of these early scenes. What did you think of, I guess, the whole garage element? Like you said... His parents won't let him put Christine in the driveway for some... Absolutely ridiculous. For some reason. (laughs) You know, look, and I get it. Like, the first film we ever did on this podcast was Better Off Dead. And one of the premises of that film is, you know, the father's like, you've had this car in my driveway for, like, a year or something, and you've done nothing with it. That's a different story, you know? Yes. Having, like, a, a piece of crap in the driveway and not doing anything with it, like, that's one thing. But, like... It takes him about three days for the car to be perfect. He is effectively Tony Stark. They should not be like trying to diminish his talents. He he was locked in a cave with a pile of scraps and made Christine. Like, and he's confident on the other side because he just made Christine. Like I don't know. I I a hundred percent think that everyone around him is the reason that the car went weird. Okay, so let me ask you some questions then. So obviously Christine was born alive, we'll say, but when he bought Christine. She, she wasn't exactly exhibiting those tendencies, and she wasn't also healing mm-hmm. herself. Why do you think she, like, started to heal herself later? Do you, or, or do you think that he is truly the one who rebuilt her in three days? Or do you think that Christine was secretly helping herself out? So, I think a couple things on this. First of all, let's think about where Christine comes from. I'm going to assume that this is basically an Age of Ultron, where uh, Christine was brought into this world as a consciousness, saw the immediate capacity for man's cruelty, and decided that the only thing that she was on this earth to do was to exterminate them. Basically the Ultron (laughs) situation. And Ultron also has friends, though. And I think that it's pretty clear that Christine really likes Arthur, and I think that there's a sexual component involved in that. This might just be literally my introduction to Christine being a slash fiction. <laughs> However, I do think that there is like a deliberate, you know, there's a, supposed to be an affection between these two in a way that is supposed to be like, again, boys name cars after girls all the time. But like, I think that that's an important component of this is that there is an emotional thing. And so you could argue that it was the neglect of of Christine since the death of her previous owner and then the love of this new dweeb that both made Christine help herself as well as help Arnie, you know, and give him that confidence that he needs to be fine with her murdering his enemies. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll ask you like this. Do you believe that, because I've read a couple theories on this. Do you believe that like Arnie's just acting the way he is because he's, well, one, everyone else is alienating him and you know treating him like a dick, and two, he's just like gaining more confidence in himself. Or do you think that Christine's evil, if you will, is like seeping into him mystically? Um, mystically, yeah, but I think it's it's less like a um a poison situation and more of a deal with the devil kind of situation where 
he could I, I think that his capacity to realize like there might be something subliminal in the car that everybody else is picking up on which is why they inherently do not like the car and that is only coming out in the form of like you shouldn't have spent them get it away from me or like his girlfriend having a distinct aversion to it right whereas like I do think that there could be something going on like he kind of starts dressing like a 50s person and the movie does take place in yeah. the 80s. It could, I think it's one of those where like, no, the Plymouth Fury is trying to, uh, the 1958 Plymouth Fury is trying to exert its its forces upon him in a way. And I think that that is kind of like, I do not think that he would have discovered the 1950s uh, styles if not for the uh, otherworldly influence of the car. But I do think that he is susceptible to the otherworldly influence of the car because he is signing up for this shit, you know? Yeah, you know, I mean... Like, that, you know how couples sense. become a little I mean, bit more like each other over time? I think that that's what's <laughs> happening here. I think that he fucks the car. I'm just going to come out and say it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, you, the relationship he has with his car makes total sense, but you picked up on something interesting in the whole, like, 50s transformation he's going through. And, you know, during the time, though, that was kind of a popular thing happening in American culture. There was a lot of, like, 50s revivals. I mean, I am sure that's not what influenced him. But I was like, is this guy trying to be Fonzie now? You know? Did he recently watch Grease? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, like, big Happy Days fan. Like, (laughs) Yeah, so we'll never know, but there certainly does seem like there's some evil i guess seeping into him but i think you made a good point that i didn't really think about like if there is a presence in this car it would make a lot of sense why people just hate the car for a lot of i would say most of the characters in this film it's not a stretch to be like we need to kill this car because i think most people would be like you really think it's the car and it's not just him being a dick you know yeah it's like you know how how there are things that make the body nauseous and you don't know why they do, but it's like an evolutionary aversion to the, to what has historically been a thing that kills people. Right. It might just be, yeah. I don't know. Listen, King is into a lot of that shit. Like it is an otherworldly evil that feels revolt and like that kind of stuff. Right. So it seems very Kingy to have it be like a latent menace picked up only by the good of heart, but seducing the one who is becoming close and opening <laughs> his d- diminished brain to you know like it's just i think that this is super kingy um given that king is a person who is fond of his own ideas that span across work it would not inherently shock me if it was a truly haunted car and that the car is doing all the shit (laughs) yeah i mean you bring up it and that's that's a good comparison because on the outside if you're not familiar with it it's a killer clown you're like what the hell but you know Stephen King has these layers and lore and I you know I don't think Christine is dissimilar in that way were there any other uh, scenes I guess before we get into like the rampage and stuff that struck you or, or you want to talk about what rampage are you talking about are you talking about the the firm and coherent decision the car makes to eliminate its enemies <laughs> yeah I'm talking to him like there's to me there's like a switch between you know he's fixing Christine Christine seeping in the drive-in scene, as we talked about. And then after the drive-in scene, just like, 
what happens. Oh, you know, Christine's yeah. whole, you know, vendetta. <laughs> well, so the first thing that Christine kills is his boss, right? That's the kind of... I'm trying to think when the detective enters the picture played by Harry Dean Stanton. I thought Christine kills one of the lackeys. He kills a lackey. She kills a lackey first. I don't know. You know, this is not like one of these, like, <laughs> scene-by-scene films, you know? <laughs> yeah, we're just going to talk about the car murders then, right? I want to talk about Harry <laughs> yeah. Dean Stanton because he comes in... And is just, like, cool with a lot of stuff that I did not expect. He's just like, yeah. So I think he comes in expecting it to be a series of hit and runs. Lean machine. <laughs> they let you out early? Yeah, this way. Arnold Cunningham? I'm Rudolph Junkins, state police detective. Oh, look, I'm just missing a study hall. I got to get to work. Uh, no, I don't care about that. I just want to ask you about your car. You do nice body work, Arnie. I thought this thing was totaled. Who told you that? Why, hell, everybody. Local police, your mom and dad, your girl. Cute girl, better. Yeah, well, it wasn't anywhere near as bad as it looked. No? The report said uh, they punched holes in the body. Damn if I can see the fill. Well, you can if you look. Yeah, it's, uh, it's right over there and uh, back here. You know, I've been real lucky with parts to replace the entire door on this side. Oh, yeah? Yeah, see the way the paint doesn't quite match? Nope. A hell of a job. Hell of a job, Arnie. Well, thank you very much. What do you want, huh? I really like this shade of red, Arnie. Didn't think they still made this anymore. Do they? They still make this shade. Well, they must. I mean, I bought it, didn't I? Where? Baker Auto out on Route 5, okay? You still got the receipt. Tossed it out. Mm. You know, it's funny, um, cigarette? No, thanks. Usually when somebody trashes a car, we get photographs. Oh, wait, wait, wait. They didn't really trash it, okay? Well, that's not what Lee said. As a matter of fact, she was so shaken up, giving me all the details, she broke down crying. I understand uh, one of the perpetrators uh, defecated on the dashboard. Now, I would have thought you'd be madder in hell at that, and I would have thought you would have reported that. Ship wipes off. Moochie Welch kind of got wiped off, too, didn't he? I don't know. You don't know? No. Scout's honor? I'm not a scout. The kid was cut in half, Arnie. They had to scrape his legs up with a shovel. Well, isn't that what you're supposed to do with shit? And then by the end of the movie, he's just like, you kids did great with that haunted car and is not remotely phased by the fact that that was the cause of the problems. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously you've been on with the guys on Cage Club. and So Mike Manzi, he's someone who, whenever I'm on one of his podcasts, he like, I don't want to say advents lore, but he finds like lore in things that I would never have 
guessed, and like this to me feels like a manseism here, that maybe Harry Dean Stanton is not just an investigator, but he's more like an X-Files kind of investigator, that like he's used to finding these weirdo things that are happening around the country, and that, because he is, like you said, he is not He's phased, obviously, right. but he's not, like, too shocked that this is a killer yeah. car. You know what I'm saying? You would think that it would be like, oh, I need you to go from A to Z. And he's just, like, spitting the alphabet. Like, like, he seems very up on it. And if you told me that the people who made this movie came back and were secretly planning, like, an MCU-style thing, if Harry Dean Stanton's weird detective man was going to be the Nick Fury <laughs> of that dumb, dumb cinematic universe that should not ever happen... <laughs> It wouldn't shock me. Yeah, I mean, this might be a situation where we just Google his name and find out that it's just Stephen King puts that dude in a lot of books. Oh, that's but, uh, possible, yeah. I mean... <laughs> and let's try it. You know... You nope, just Christine. Up, there is one day going to be a a new Stephen King cinematic universe that is connected, and that pisses me off. I, I didn't think about it till you mentioned it. I don't know why they wouldn't start it with It, though. Like, I mean, like, they've had their share of hits. Like, if there's a connection between Pet Cemetery and It, which I don't think that there is, unless we want to Google their production company and see if they're doing a backdoor thing of this. I don't know. Because, I mean, wait, isn't the King universe actually connected what, with Dark Tower and what have you? Oh, also, I didn't even a think Dark about Tower that. Movie. Yeah, yeah. They made a Dark Tower movie and that did terribly, yeah. so I do not think that's going to happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that the Dark Tower movie starring Idris Elba, if that doesn't do it, then I don't think that a King universe Versus gonna happen. <laughs> That's a really good point, and yeah, no, I guess you're right. I, I just feel like anything they can connect today and try to franchise, yeah. they will, for better or worse. I mean, so I just pulled it up, and there's a shitload of films based on works by Stephen King, and I would imagine that the IP rights alone are insane. Like, they've made three, ca- <laughs> like, it would take th- the greatest lawyer ever to be put on this earth who would presumably be a haunted character from a Stephen King book to actually sort through this IP and figure out who owns what. But yeah, uh, let's, let, let's leave that to the producers, though. <laughs> well, every studio will merge with every studio, and then there yeah, won't so, be Hey, it, it, it's, uh, it's coming down, you know? Like, and then there were five. Oh, man. So back to the killing car. <laughs> yes, we must do that. <laughs> I think it, it was an interesting turn for me because I just assumed that yeah christine was killing people but that arnie was behind the wheel the entire time and i think it Mm. i think it does a good job of like that reveal when you know he wasn't there for the big inferno murder the inferno murder was amazing yeah but oh my god the effects on that where it's just so like the 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 on fire christine chasing him down like a witch in the night it was amazing (laughs) like so so good
I'm surprised that I had not seen this scene before because I figured that a scene that's done so well effect-wise would, I don't know, like carry through time and just be one of yeah. those things that you're born knowing. Like we both, I think that we're both fans of Nick Cage here. And I mean, like Ghost Rider was fine, but like this is what that should have been, you know? One of the pivotal moments in human history is the controlling of, <laughs> of fire, right? We don't need to CGI control fire. I'm not saying burn stuff to the ground, you know, just just for the sake of making movies. But well, they but... <laughs> they literally built a gas station just to blow it up for this film, and that is so yeah. cool. I want more of that. <laughs> like, it could not have been that expensive. I will concede that it was during the early '80s, after the uh, the embargo and what have you. But like, it could not have been that expensive to blow up one gas station and set a car on fire. And then have that car drive for several miles. It was great. <laughs> and, you know, that's why they had to go through 17 of these. I don't think, well, yeah. a- apparently, like, the last uh, movie, Christine, to go on sale at auction went for, like, over $100,000. But I don't think there are too many Plymouth Furies uh, from this year out there anymore because they probably destroyed all of them for this film. <laughs> that makes me very happy because there's, like, I, d- I really, like, don't love the DeLoreans and how... Like, that's a thing that is just incredibly common now, because those cars are death traps and are literally the reason that we have seatbelts, because those cars were so good at actually killing people. Like, more people have died because of DeLoreans than because of 1957 Plymouths. Like, Fair, that's very fear, true. Fear, yeah. And, you know, it's funny because there's always lists of, like, iconic movie cars, and I rarely see Christine on there, and... That's a shame. You know, it's, it sounds silly because it feels like we're talking about an actual person, but that's how good this film is. <laughs> like, I'll never forget these scenes. Like, and Carpenter's, like, shots here and just the images. <sighs> Some of them are so simple and so just, like you said, like the flaming car. Yeah. That was striking. <laughs> yeah. It's like, whoa. It's so cool. Like, I've seen a lot of on-fire cars, but, like, that was an on-fire car. That was a commitment to the bit. Like, I just really enjoyed... Every time that Christine killed somebody, I was pretty happy. Like, it was, it, <laughs> Christine is just Batman in car form. It's not bad. Well, what did you think of the effect of Christine healing herself? That blew me the fuck away. Right? I'm not going to lie. Right? I was like, I was expecting to see some, like, oh, yeah, clearly there's just, like, uh, some tech underneath it, like, popping it back out. But it, like, w- it looked good. Like, I it don't know if they, like, did a reverse shot, yeah. but, like, I don't know. Carpenter is really, really good at that stuff. And, like, like, the thing, the the special effects in the thing are just so incredible. And, like, I was just really enamored with how they did it. And I, can, I know that that's his strong suit and that's the stuff that he likes because he does it so often that the practical effects are just a real treat every time with him. I went in here expecting, like, oh, I'm sure it's going to be fine. The acting's going to be a bit wooded and I bet the effects are bad. But the effects were really good, you know? So good. I even thought that this was going to be like, if the car was going to heal itself, that <laughs> we wouldn't see that happen. Like, it would be trash. Hand left. <laughs> yeah, no, and he'd come back the next day and it would be okay, you know. But like, how did that happen? But you literally just see this happening. I don't know. I, I, I can't say enough about that shot, like, you know, the main one where we see the car, like, healing itself. Because it is so trash. Again, we should mention these, like, thugs. The one that pulled out a knife to him in shots. You know, they get expelled. And they want to pay back Arnie by destroying Christine. They sneak into the garage. And they really 
really trash this car. And you see them, you know, they're cutting holes in the seats, they're destroying windows. Apparently someone takes a shit on the dashboard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> somebody takes a shit on the dashboard. You want to know how I know that? Because that's a line from the movie. Yes. Mom, somebody took a shit on my dashboard. <laughs> and and it's, it's, we're reminded of it several times. <laughs> it comes up. It's a thing. That, it really grinds his gears. And honestly, from that moment forward, Christine could do whatever she wanted to these people. <laughs> like... <laughs> It was a real, like, whatever the opposite of a save the cat moment is, where, like, the villain proves just a kick the puppy moment. Oh, yeah. No, the moment that somebody shit on Christine, that was the end of it for me, you know? Uh, I mean, and, and you know, in, in actuality, as vile as that is, that would be the easiest thing to take care of. <laughs> yeah. That, that would, you would not need to buff that out. Like. <laughs> no. The damage they do to this car, obviously, is catastrophic. As they said, the car is essentially totaled. So this is the motivation for Christine's revenge. This is, we, we, gain, we get sympathy for the evil yeah. car because yeah. of this. And- no, misunderstood car. And car who honestly <laughs> made a lot of valid points with the people that she decided to go against. Yeah, no, and you're, you're right by saying misunderstood because when you say evil, it implies that this car was just going and killing everyone in sight like just having right like an unadulterated rampage around town but these are targeted murders yeah it's not again like here's the thing it's not vehicular manslaughter it's vehicular murder (laughs) there's a plan involved and it's true and i'm sure i'm sure you notice that every time christine goes evil that the windows tint and that was actually done because obviously there's a stunt driver there that they wanted to hide yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't like take take away from it at all it's just like not at all really cool and it makes this like 50s like true rock and roll music towards the end of the film seems so eerie like music that it's like you know someone's grandparents are, are dancing to ends up being like chilling towards the end of the film because Every time Christine gets evil, she just plays like a Richie Valens track or or something, and it, it's. I, I thought that element was super cool. Yeah, it's like instead of like the Jaws theme playing whenever the shark's near, it's just like dun 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 dun. Like what? Oh god, no! Like <laughs> the the joke at the end. Uh, I don't know how far we can jump ahead, but like when they're in the junkyard, having finally destroyed Christine, and then they hear the the guitar riff. And it's just a guy with a boombox that walks by. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. It's so good because even I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> but um, but yeah, like, it's fun. I, I think that, again, like, for the bulk of Christine's actions, I don't have too many problems with her. With, like, it's not that I don't necessarily have a problem with it. It's that I fundamentally understand Christine's gripe with her enemies in this one. I watch enough superhero movies where I know that at a certain point it might come to blows, and I think that Christine, um, just uh, her morality is no different than, um, than you know your, your Batman's of the world, right? <laughs> <laughs> we should mention, like, uh, like I said, Alexandra Paul plays this Lee character who's the lady of the film, you know, for lack of a better, <laughs> better term, and she ends up. I guess somewhat surprisingly going out with Arnie because we see like Dennis as the really cool guy and he's trying to date her and she's like, I got a date and it ends up being Dennis. I don't know if she likes Dennis for his intellectualness or, or literally because of Christine, you know, Christine ends up trying to kill her, obviously. She does not, she's not very cool with Christine by the end of it. No. Um. uh, (laughs) 
No, and it's funny. It's just like she's the first one to be like, "We need to kill this car." Essentially, <laughs> yeah. I, I do like immediately how like she goes from being like, "I don't like this car," to being like, "This car is Satan, <laughs> and we must destroy it." That's why That's I think you're right. Boldly... There must be yeah. some presence that they feel because there's no way like. Because she, she's not like, yeah, he's kind of become a dick since he's got that car. That's like other people's yeah. theory, but he's like, no, there's something else going on here. And I get it. The, it's car, like, it, the car tries to kill her, it, but you know. It's like if you if you like take a drink of milk and it tastes rotten and you're just like, nope, spitting that out. No, we're, it's bad. Yes. This thing's evil. <laughs> and now let's go to the supermarket and destroy all milk. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you throw the milk out. Like, <laughs> it's a key thing. <laughs> we mentioned Dennis. He uh, gets that football injury, and it seems like he gets injured because he sees <laughs> he Christy. sees he sees Arnie with Lee, and he's I don't know distracted. Yeah, I mean that is a shocking situation given everything that we know about all those characters. <laughs> and he's he's in the hospital for a while. He's on the sideline. I mean, not literally. Well, yeah, but you know, he's kind of exit stage left for a little bit because he he's in the hospital. And Lee ends up obviously going to him for, because you know, like with the "we have to kill this car" moment, sort of thing. It, yeah. It's it's interesting, like the plot. I mean, the yeah, the plot they end up hatching of like how to kill the car. But before we get to the big ending, I just want to like t- touch on some of the other characters because yeah, sure. Be remiss if I didn't forget. Um, you know the the so the owner of the garage who ends up getting killed. Obviously, he's kind of a dick. Yeah. <laughs> First, he lets Arnie, like, use whatever parts he wants for Christine. Then he's like, you can't do that. But if you want to do that, you're going to have to work for me. <laughs> it's weird that, like, the guy runs, like, a junkyard, but he has so many errands for Arnie that involves him going out of town. <laughs> they say picking up parts, but he, like, he picks up parts in some other, like, muscle car. I forgot what it is. It's not like he's got, like, a truck picking up parts. Yeah, like, the point of a junkyard is that the parts come to yeah, you. Yeah, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I don't know if there's, like, like he's, like, kind of a gangster, and he's, like, dropping off money or, like, whacking people. I don't know, like, what he's doing <laughs> on the side, because he's he'll be gone, like, the entire night. It's not only cutting into his friendship, it's, it's cutting into, clearly, like, his schoolwork and stuff. And, yeah. Like, they work out this weird angle, and obviously, like, Christine ends up killing him. What do you think Christine's motivation for killing him was? Just because he was a dick to Arnie? I think he was obviously a dick to Arnie in front of the car. I think it might be one of those situations where, like, I've discovered your secret identity, Batman. What are you going to do to me? And, <laughs> and, it, and it's that. Or, I mean, like, he is sketchy. And um, as we kind of roll with my theory that Christine did nothing wrong, perhaps uh, she picks up on something that we have not, you know? Fair. I mean, that's true. No, but I tend to think it's what you just said there. It's an act of self-preservation. Yeah. I mean, clearly he has everything he needs at the junkyard to kill Christine, so. Yes, he's got the car crusher. Like, he's got everything. (laughs) Kill to be killed. I love that, and it's a very Carpenter shot, right, of um, when he first goes to the garage, and it says something along the lines of, like, junkyard, and then it also says, like, parking garage. Yeah. It's kind of alluding to the fact, like, this is a place where you store cars, but it's also a place where you kill cars. <laughs> it definitely sets up all the, like, it's not like, where did the car crusher come from? Like, you yeah. kind of know, oh, the mech suit's going to kill the alien. Oh, the, uh, like, <laughs> you know what, what, what the gun is going to be uh, in Act 1. But, yeah, he was an interesting character. Yeah. Again, like, below him, 
I would say some of the acting gets a little bit weaker besides Harry Dean. Like, because you got, like, the parents aren't the most well-fleshed-out characters besides despising the car. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm a little bit mixed on some stuff. Well, you said that, uh, you know, you weren't too big of a fan of the acting. Who did you hate in this film? Be honest. Who, who did you think I th- sucked? I thought the dad sucked uh, a lot. Um, well, the parents, I, I thought, think... were terrible. That's the parents point. were abysmal. Yeah, like, I, I did not think that they were put, like, they felt like that those scenes were shot in a day and then done with. And, I mean, I felt like Dennis and Lee were good. I felt Arnie a little bit weak at times, but a lot of that is, like, his character is a little bit not fleshed out. Uh, I think the best character is the car. I think that, like, I understand and respect the motivations of the vehicle the most. I think that the the car being the best character and, by definition, the best actor, I think that the car has a good characterization in, like, you kind of know what she, what she wants and, like, what you what she's willing to do to get it, um, more so than I think most, if not all, of the characters are. Like, I think Arnie kind of loses his... Uh, his uh, motivation at a little point besides liking car, you know? <laughs> you know what's fu- funny? Like, you make a super good point. We've been able to dissect the fucking car's motivation so much oh, yeah. more than any other character here. That's, wow, that's <laughs> that's super cool. You're right, the car is the star of this film, and I guess that's not that surprising. It's called Christine. It's heavily featured, but... It's certainly not called fucking Arnie, I'll tell you what. <laughs> like, um, but no, I think, like, if you think, what's Arnie's motivation in the first third of the movie? Get laid. What's his motivation in the second and third part of the movie? Like, continue maintaining car. And I think that that's linked, you know? Like, I think that he becomes uh, an obsessive with this and becomes an acolyte of the car, and, and I think that that kind of um, moves the plot forward, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. So, I mean, we've talked about the gas station scene. We've talked about, you know, the car murders. I don't know if if there's anything else before the ending you want to go into detail with. I was surprised it was like an hour and 50 minutes. Didn't seem like it was that long. You know what I'm saying? I know there was a slow build, but there's not much going on, really. Yeah, it it was a slow build. I would say that once it's going, it's going. But in the beginning, you're right. It's a high school movie. And they have to do the basic high school bullshit of just like, oh, bullies, rats. And there's like weird dialogue about like, we went to the county clerk to register the car. The previous owner was was murder <laughs> and, and, and there was like some of that kind of like oh yeah what a real pop boiler you got going there you mean the alive car is probably malicious <laughs> <laughs> yeah or oh, there's the one scene where um dennis goes to the owner right and kind of gets like a little bit more information about the car <laughs> but it's like a little bit unnecessary like we get it it's evil you know like by that point we've already seen the car fuck some people up and so there's not really a mystery to beheld like <laughs> no no exactly but you know like i said i didn't mind the, the slow build and yeah once we get into it we really get into it and once the car starts killing i was like glued to the screen keep it going <laughs> yeah hooked the entire time so lee and dennis i guess devise a plan to kill the car that involves essentially just crushing it right i've never loved an ambush as much as i loved what happens at the end of this movie like these two spend a whole day like setting a trap like one's got a bulldozer the other's ready to like shut the doors cut off a retreat headed off of the pass they've thought ahead they've <laughs> planned so much they've sketched it out they know what to do they get into position all right <laughs> 
boom, Christine was there the whole time. And, like, I just think that getting outsmarted by a car in camouflage is literally the greatest plot point <laughs> that I've ever seen in a fucking movie before. But you know what, though? Like, they don't seem like the... Especially, I think Dennis don't seem like like they don't seem like the brightest of high school students. So, like, it wasn't that surprising to me? <laughs> yeah, no, the plan is not great. Um, <laughs> like again, their plan is like get a bigger thing to break it. No, it's just like it, it's funny because they it's like called a plan in the film. You know, it's not like like let's just show up and do it. It's like they, <laughs> he's like you know you better hide out of the office just in case something you know. Yeah, so like one of my favorite movies of all time is Ocean's Eleven. Mm-hmm. And one of the best things to do if you're a fan of Ocean's Eleven is to watch the original version of Ocean's Eleven. Because, like, in Ocean's Eleven, the new one, they have a really sophisticated plan. In the original Ocean's Eleven, it's Frank Sinatra going, All right, fellas, here's the plan. We shut the lights off in a terrorist attack, and then we punch every person in this town until they give us money. And that's the extent of the plan. Like, their plan is not very well thought out here. It's like, murder the car. Step one. Step two. Question mark? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so true. Wait, I'm I'm blanking right now. How does Arnie die? Oh, he is stabbed with a piece of glass. Yes. In the process of aiding his car in murdering a girl. And then, but I think like when the car is, is adequately fucked up, Arnie is released from its thrall to an extent. Did you get did you get that vibe? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I don't know why I blanked on this when, you know, he's pulling the shard of glass from itself. It doesn't overly indicate that. But it seems that that's the case. Yeah. I, again, like, I think in general, this is about a relationship that um, Arnie and the car are connected and that the car is brought back to life, I think, quote unquote, by virtue of Arnie coming back into it and motivating it to, you know, like, fix yourself up, find a new fella, <laughs> get into it, you know, maybe, maybe rub off on him, get him in that greaser look that she's such fond of. Uh, and then he gets a car. But yeah, no, he basically um, dies by getting into a car accident. Um, he is hurled through the window and impaled on a shard of glass. Yeah, yeah. And, and I want to make it clear. Like, it's not like when he, you know, falls out the window. No, it's not falls. He gets thrown out the window. It's not like he's, like, suddenly like, oh, my God, where have I been? Yeah, yeah. What's going on? But there does seem to be a little bit of something, like, lifted in that scene, especially when, he, you know, he's pulling out that glass and stuff, you know? Yeah, when he's pulling out, there's, like, when he's in the arms of his girlfriend, again, like, I'm trying to remember exactly what goes down, but, like, I feel like he, he dies in someone's arms, and then the piece of glass is, like, in him, and it, it dies. Anyway, uh, and then they run over the car until the car dies, and then they crush the car until it dies. <laughs> or do they? Yeah, no, that that's that's the ending. I, I didn't think it would die, you know? I don't know. I don't think it did die. Well, yeah, okay, so a couple days later after the bulldozer crushing, it's put in that, look, I don't know what the, the machine is called at a junkyard that turns cars into a big solid block of metal. But it's put yeah. into that, and then we see, like, Christine in block form. That's when, like, our heroes are just chatting about it, and then, like you said, there's, like, that boom box moment and then we yeah. and then we just see christine like slightly move i wouldn't feel so bad if i were you you two are heroes you know yeah real hero could have saved arnie we didn't do so hot hey some things can't be helped some people too yeah I hate 
rock and roll. Like it's implied that she's gonna somehow wrangle herself out and put herself out back back together. I mean, do you think that's gonna happen? I think that this is a real Jumanji situation where they think that the problem is solved and that they think that just by throwing it away it's gonna be solved forever, but it's not. I think that Christine could come back and kill again. And honestly, probably will. <laughs> See, she's gonna be recycled and then constructed into a self driving car operated by a rideshare company. <laughs> oh, that would be interesting. <laughs> well, they didn't know, right, that Christine could heal herself, right? Or, I mean, I think they assumed because it was totaled and then she gets back together. So I guess they have to know. But I would have scattered those parts rather than put them all together. Uh, yeah. I mean, so now we're kind of getting to some ship or, or let's just say 1957 Plymouth of Theseus problems, right? Like if you replace all the things on an automobile, at what point is it Christine and what point is it not? <laughs> so, like, I think in general, uh, I'm okay with how they went about this. I think that there are like worse ways that they could have destroyed the car. Uh, and I think that there are better ways that they could have destroyed the car. But I think for a bunch of kids with access to one junkyard, <laughs> end of list, that's kind of a pretty good thing that they pulled off. Harry Dean Stanton, if he's truly Nick Fury, probably should have known better. But um, I think that if it, one thing that does work with uh, crushing elemental evils willed into being in the late 1950s, uh, crushing works. <laughs> I imagine Harry Dean Stanton has like one of those big government warehouses like Indiana Jones or... Uh, style where all these evil Stephen King things that they capture or destroy are somehow locked in this warehouse, and <laughs> it's like there's large portions of the of The Shining. There's there's uh, the the over the Overlook Hotel. <laughs> uh, you you've got the the Pet Cemetery. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you know Cujo, all this oh, cool God. stuff. <laughs> yeah. Again, I'm inordinately grateful that my first introduction to this film was through uh, an erotic story told at a, at a Stephen King night. I think that that might have permanently colored my interpretation of it, which, again, I do think that the romance between the car and the boy is very important. But, um, yeah, no, I, I was very, very happy with it, and it did feel like an organically high school movie. It's got so many of those moving parts. Car movies are fun. To, like, cars are... are are so very much often as i'm sure that you talk about on this podcast like they're oftentimes the MacGuffin for like high school movies and and it felt nice to kind of really zoom in on that you know yeah yeah i mean cars especially like not necessarily 50s high school movies because there's less of them i mean there's a lot of beach party movies and stuff but movies set in the 50s always have these car chase things and i know this one wasn't set in the 50s and this is not exactly a car chase film but it's certainly obviously a car film i would say it's partially set in the 50s and does contain a car chase. <laughs> true, <laughs> like, true. <laughs> I, I don't know i think it's great i think um i would have liked it if it ended with the prom and of course arnie taking christine to the prom <laughs> <laughs> how great would that have been I would have liked it. I think that between this and Carrie, a movie that for no reason I watched recently, um, I think between these you have a total high school arc of a boy gets a car and a girl goes to the prom. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that is so perfect. So any other uh, Christine moments or scenes you want to address or talk about? I thought it was perfect and I loved it. <laughs> no, um, in general, again, this thing needs to be seen to be believed. I was just, again, like, I really can't speak enough of just, like, the thing that really 
made me realize what a good, well-made movie this was, was the car rebuilding itself. I think that I would have had a much lower opinion of this if they hadn't gone to the expense and the actual, just frankly, craftsmanship of doing those scenes and the special effects, which were entirely practical, of of Christine recombobulating herself after its after her destruction on multiple occasions. I think that like that's just really what did it for me. I think that it would have been fine if they did like a pan to the right and then pan back and the car's perfect. But I think that like having it actually commit to the bit of like, oh wow, these are wires or they're they, like it, it looked good. It and, and I think that that's what really set it above of just like Listen, is this the greatest premise in the history of horror? Nope. Do they really commit to it and they, do they do the story justice? I, I gotta say yes. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And that was also the scene that did it for me as well. So every week we rate the film on a scale of one to five, well, usually, and we pick something in the film to rate it on, like in terms of, yeah. you know, one out of five, whatever. What should our scale be in this film? Uh, I would say uh, one out of five murdered thugs who had it coming. <laughs> That's a good one. I like it. So, Walt, how many murdered thugs who had it coming will you rate Christine? I, I, I would rate it five out of five murdered thugs who had it coming. Wow. Wow. The perfect score. Wow. This movie is literally the best possible version of itself. You could not make this movie better than it currently is, given the, the inherent plot and premise of it, which has its flaws. But I would say that for what it is, I think it's the best of it. I think that Carpenter's a terrific director. I think that there's perhaps a few things that I'd change with some of the line deliveries. Maybe we get a second read on some of, of, of the mom and dad's lines. Beyond that, I, I, I really enjoyed this film to an extent that I was absolutely not anticipating beforehand. And uh, for that, I really got to give it props. I'm going to give it a four out of five and pretty a four much... Four out of five what? what? What unit are you articulating? No, is it, <laughs> what did we say? Uh... Murdered thugs who had it coming. Murdered thugs who had it coming. I want to. I want to get this syntax correct. In that. Four to five murdered thugs who had it coming, uh, but pretty much for the same reasons you're saying. I can't give it five because I can't come back with a perfect high school film and then say Christine is the perfect high school film. That's um, understandable. It, it's not, but it's still. If you were going to tell me going into this podcast that a movie about a murderous car was going to get four out of five. You know, I would have been shocked. So, like, literally the dumbest presence that Stephen King has come up with. <laughs> this exceeded my expectations. I had so much fun watching this. I didn't like finish it and be like, "I'm afraid of cars." You've made me now afraid of autonomous cars. So, mm-hmm. I, I am after this recording. But it's not something like that. But I can't wait to like recommend this film to people who I know are really, really going to enjoy it. You know? Yeah, I, I would recommend this one again. This feels like a good like date night movie. It's like that. It's that zestiness of the of the eighties, which also like it, it. It keeps it moving. It's funny at times. It's dumb enough to laugh at and and enjoy yourself with. So I I enjoyed it a lot, and I honestly did not expect I would. Stephen King could be iffy at times, and this this is a really idiotic idea for a movie. <laughs> And I'm shocked that somebody like gave like whatever like three million dollars in 1982 to make it happen. <laughs> when you told me that this book was written as the movie was coming out, absolutely unsurprised. I am also unsurprised that the book is about over 500 pages long. Wow, cocaine is fascinating, isn't it? <laughs> like... Oh my god! Jeez, yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to say about that. Wow, 500 pages. It is 526 pages long, and it came out on April 29th, 1983, while the movie came out on December 9th, 1983. (laughs) 
So read into that what you will. <laughs> that is insane. That is insane. That is just incredible. George R. R. Martin, take some notes. Or don't. Don't do cocaine, George R. R. Martin. It's a terrible drug and should not be done. Uh, do not feel the need to be Stephen King. <laughs> The Night's King should not come back because he was buried in a cemetery for pets. No. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, you're right. We don't want to see that. That would be. <laughs> <laughs> we do not need that. <laughs> no. Very, very good point. I also think, though, this movie is a very, very good slumber party film. And every week I ask my guests this question, too. <sighs> Walt, you're, you know, go into the slumber party. You can bring yes. any sleeping bag you want. You can make a sleeping bag up. It doesn't have to be like, oh, a Coleman 1081, you know? Like, yeah. be as creative as you like. What sleeping bag are you bringing to the slumber party today? To the slumber party, um, I would bring um, a big pile of blankets, which I think has a little bit more versatility <laughs> than a sleeping bag does. And I was in the Boy Scouts. I'm familiar with the Coleman 141, all right? Uh, <laughs> that's a very common response. Bit amateurish, if you ask me. If you want the versatility that you need for the cold nights and the warm ones, uh, just sometimes just bring a big old pile of blankets and sleep on the couch. That, that's a good call. That's a good call. I yeah. like that. That's, you know, I think you, you're one of the only people who have said that. So that's awesome. Well, I mean, you don't need the, like, deep slumber, like, freeze it, freezer bags, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Depends where your slumber party is, but... No, I would say no. Um, also, I do want to point out before we go, the songs in this movie are great and are stuck in my head. There was an ABBA one in there, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah. I like to um, – I wouldn't call myself a collector because people have schooled me, but I, I like to buy soundtracks oh. <laughs> for films on vinyl. And hey. I looked this one up, and there are like six or seven songs that are in the movie that don't make the vinyl soundtrack. And, and the, oh, wow. the ABBA song was one of them. And I was like, oh, that's a little disappointing, you know. It happens a lot, you know, where there's like one or two. So I don't know. Maybe if they do like a re-release of this. But yeah, no, uh, great music. I really loved it. Nice. So, Walt, again, thank you for coming on. Thank you for suggesting Christine. Somewhat out of the blue, I guess. But suggesting yeah. Christine and, again, being smarter than me and thinking, Hey, let's release this on the same day as Pet Cemetery. So. Pet Cemetery in cinemas. I, I I didn't work on the movie. I just I just <laughs> box office is low this year. People, we got to do our part. <laughs> oh man. So, what would you like to promote, Walt? Where can people follow you and tell them about what you're doing at Numlock News and stuff? Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. So I'm on Twitter at Walt Hickey. Pretty easy to get a hold of there. Uh, I write a daily morning news brief. Uh, it's nice and fun. It's a good morning read. It's a great way to get caught up on the world. It's a lot of stories that kind of fly under the radar or get missed because of some of the louder stuff that's going on these days. I'm kind of covering stuff from all over the space of like politics, entertainment, not politics, I'm sorry, ent- entertainment, you know, science, all that kind of stuff. Really kind of avoiding the larger political issues going on in that. And that's at Numlock News. Um, so you can find that by going to Substack or you can go to numlock.substack.com. It's numlock like the... Uh, like the key on your keyboard that you didn't really like. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's where you can find me. Awesome. Well, oh, well, and I'm sometimes, if, uh, if you've got movie fans in your uh, crowd, I am on uh, the Not Her Again podcast, which it's about to embark on its third miniseries. The previous ones were all about all the times that Meryl Streep lost an Oscar and Julia Roberts' career, and the next one uh, is another Oscars one, so that'll be fun. Wow, that sounds really cool. Definitely, definitely check that out. So, Walt, love to have you on again. You know, really. Oh, this was great. I mean, I you sent over a really fun list of 
movies that I had not seen and I sent over like, oh, these are on my list right now. So I'm down. Uh, I'm excited to, to possibly come back if you had me. This was such a fun time. <laughs> Definitely. I'll save some of those for you for sure. So thank you, Walt. Thank you. So that was fun. We definitely have to have Walt back on again. Hope you guys out there enjoyed it, too. (sighs) Killer car. Is it ever going to get better than that? (laughs) Before your eyes get all heavy and you get all cuddly in those sleeping bags tonight, Mr. Late Night has some more stuff he needs to say to you. First, don't forget to check out my other show, P.S. I Love Hoffman, the Philip Seymour Hoffman podcast. This month, we re-watched Moneyball. That's right, Moneyball. By we, I'm talking about myself and my co-host Kyle Reinfurt, of course. And anyone who knows me knows that I love Philip Summer Hoffman, obviously, and that I love baseball. So trust me, it was a lot of fun. I was also on another podcast that came out this week, because of course, for you wrestling fans out there, this is WrestleMania week. And in honor of that, Mike Manzi's podcast, Third Time's a Charm, covered WrestleMania 3. Changing it up a bit this month, but honestly, it was awesome. Mike, myself, Dan Colon, and Christian Larson were all guests, and we had a blast talking about that really cool event. I think he separates the episode in two, so there'll be a part one and a part two next month. You want to listen. It's awesome. You hear a lot of passion from me, too. <sighs> wow. You know, I got to talk about a high school movie a baseball movie, and a wrestling movie in the same week? Hashtag blessed. And of course, you could find all those episodes on cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Or wherever you get your podcasts. I didn't forget about your homework next week, Hulkamaniacs. Well, first, get John Cusack to unblock us. But second, hack the planet! Hidden beneath the world we know is the world they inhabit. Dave? Yeah, Ma? What are you doing? I'm taking over a TV network. I'll finish up, honey, and get to sleep. They're hackers. Hackers penetrate and ravage private and publicly owned computer systems. Hack the planet! Hack the planet! It's not just something they do. Sure, this sweet machine's not going to waste. Are you challenging me? <laughs> It's who they are. I win, you wear a dress on our date. And if I win, so do you. They can crack any code. And get inside any system. Hello? Mr. Gill, according to our records, you're dead. I'm what? But this time... Come here, look at this. It's some kind of virus. Unless $5 million is transferred to the following account, I will capsize five oil tankers. They just hacked the wrong guy. Game's over. Whoever wrote this needs somebody to take the fall. He's about to commit the perfect computer crime. You've created a virus that's going to cause a worldwide disaster? And they're about to take the blame. A hacker planted the virus. But it's the perfect cover. We're being framed. Can we be allies? I don't play well with others. Wow, we are fried. Okay, let's nail it. 
You're not good enough to beat me. Yeah, maybe I'm not. But we are. They're the only ones who can prevent a catastrophe. I know how to stop this guy. They'll trace you like that. Are you nuts? Come at me! Unlike any the world has ever seen. Never send a boy to do a woman's job. Hackers of the world unite. Cops are in the building. I need more time. This is the end, my friend. United Artists welcomes you to the new world. That's right, we're talking hackers. And my guest next week will be the aforementioned Michael Manzi, and from Whistle Thinking, one of my all-time favorites, Caragale O'Regan. Ugh, trust me, it's going to be so much fun. Hack the planet! So, what else can I leave you with? Oh, watch out for autonomous cars accidentally running over you. Don't want that to happen. So, I was going to leave you with a song, a Queen song, actually. I'm in love with my car. It doesn't have anything to do with this film. Well, it does, obviously, but it just kept playing in my head while I was editing for obvious reasons. But, you know, it's not in the film, Christine, so I thought it wasn't fair. So, you know, instead, I leave you with Richie Valens. Come on, let's go. Later, dudes. It's over. Go home. Go.